Chapter 8 of The Submarine Boys and the Middies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Submarine Boys and the Middies by Victor G. Durham. Chapter 8 A Young Captain in Tatters. Nah, you'll go, I reckons. With that, the mulatto guide of the night before threw down one end of an inch rope. I reckon you're sailor enough to climb that. Come right along, lest you want the dogs to jump down there. But they'll tackle me if I come up, objected Jack Benson. No, they won't. Them dogs is trained to this walk. I done told you that. Come right along. I'll keep my two eyes on them dogs. It looked like a highly risky bit of business, but Jack told himself that, now he'd been deprived of his valuables, this yellow worthy must be genuinely anxious to be rid of the victim. So he took hold of the rope and began to climb. The mulatto and the dogs disappeared from the upper edge of the pit. As his head came up above the level of the flooring, Benson saw the mulatto and the dogs in the next room, the connecting door of which had been taken from its hinges. Come right in, Mas Benson. There ain't nothing going to hurt you, came the rascal's voice reassuringly. Jack obeyed by stepping into the next room though he kept watch over the dogs out of the corners of his eyes. Now you lie right down on the floor, Mas Benson, commanded the master of the situation. I's got to tie you up before I can start your back to Annapolis, but there ain't going to be no harm going come to you. Making a virtue of necessity, Captain Jack lay down as directed, passing his hands behind his back. These were deftly secured, after which his ankles were treated in the same fashion. Immediately the mulatto, who was strong and wiry, lifted the boy and the lantern together. The dogs remaining behind, Jack was carried out into the yard, where he discovered that daylight was coming on in the east. He was dumped on the ground long enough to permit his captor to lock the door securely. Then the submarine boy was lifted once more, carried around the corner of the house, and dumped in the bottom of a shabby old delivery wagon. A canvas was pulled over him, concealing him from any chance passer. Then the mulatto ran around to the seat, picking up the reins and starting the horse. It seemed like a long drive to the boy, but Benson was certainly in no position to judge time accurately. At last the team was halted, along a stretch of road in the deep woods. The mulatto lifted the submarine boy out to the ground. Now when you've got yourself free, you can take the road in that direction, declared the fellow, pointing. By and by you'll come inside of the town. Now, Bass Benson, what happened to you last night? I'm all in the coast over a lifetime, and I hope you ain't got no bad feelings. You certainly done learn something new in the way of tricks. Goodbye, sir, and my compliments to you, Mas Benson. With that, the guide of the night before swiftly cut the cords at Jack's wrists, then I swiftly leapt to the seat of wagon, whipping up the horse and disappearing in a cloud of dust. Jack, having now no knife, and the bonds about his ankles being tied with many hard knots, spent some precious minutes in freeing his feet. At last he stood up, fire in his eyes. Ah, oh, for sure. There's no sense in trying to run after that rascal in his wagon, decided the young submarine skipper. I haven't the slightest idea what direction he took after he got out of sight, and, oh gracious, I'm under orders to be aboard the Farnham at eight this morning, and on Mr. Farnham's business at that. Clenching his hands vengefully, Jack started along the direction pointed out by his late captor. Brisk walking or some over the edge of his great wrath. Catching a comprehensive glimpse of himself, Jack could not keep back a grim laugh. Well, 
I certainly am a dandy to spring myself on the Trim and Slick Naval Academy, he gritted. What a treat I'll be to the cadets. That is, if the sentry ever lets me through the gates into the academy grounds. As he hurried along, Jack Benson decided that he simply could not go to the Naval Academy, presenting any such grotesque picture as he did now. Yet he had no money about him with which to purchase more presentable clothes in town, so he formed another plan. Within a few minutes he came in sight of Annapolis. Hurrying on faster, he at last entered the town. The further he went, the more painfully conscious the boy became of the ludicrous appearance that he made. He saw men and women turn their heads to look after him, and his cheeks burned with deep scarlet that glowed over the sea-bronze of his skin. "'The single consolation I have is not a solitary person in town knows me anyway,' he muttered. Then he caught sight of a clock on a church steeple. Twenty-five minutes of eight. "'That means a fearful hustle,' he muttered, and went ahead under such steam as he all but panted. At last he came to the Maryland house, opposite the state capitol grounds. Into the office of the hotel he darted, going straight up to the desk. A clerk who had been on duty for hours, and who was growing more drowsy every moment, stared at the boy in amazement. "'See here, you ragamuffin. What?' "'My name is Benson,' began the boy breathlessly. "'I'm a guest of the house. I arrived last night. I—' "'You? A guest of this house?' demanded the clerk at the most select hotel in the town. "'You?' That was as far as the disgust of the clerk would permit him to go in words. A score of well-dressed gentlemen were staring in astonishment at the scene. The clerk nodded to two stout porters who had suspended their work nearby. It had been Jack Benson's purpose to go to his room and keep out of sight, while dispatching one of the coloured bellboys of the hotel with a note to Hal Hastings, asking that chum to send him up a uniform and other articles of attire. However, before the young submarine captain fully realised what was happening, the two porters had seized him. Firmly, even though gently, they hustled him out through the entrance onto the street. Scat, advised one of the pair. Jack started to protest, then realised the hopelessness of such a course. In truth, he did not blame the hotel folks in the least. Oh well, he sighed, paling as soon as the new flush of mortification had died out. There's nothing for it but to hurry to the academy. I hope the sentries won't shoot me when they see me, he added, bitterly. Across the state capital grounds he hurried, then down through a side street until he arrived at the gate of the academy grounds. Halt! challenged a sentry, as soon as Jack showed his face through the gateway. Young Benson stopped, bringing his heels together with a click. What do you want? Where are you going? demanded the Marine. I know I look pretty rough, Jack admitted shamefacedly, but I belong aboard the Farnham, one of the submarines that arrived last night, and I'm due there at this minute. Please don't delay me. All right, replied the sentry, after surveying the boy from head to foot once more. Then he added, in a lower tone, with just a suspicion of a grin showing at the corners of his mouth, Say, friend, for a stranger, you must have had a high old frolic in the town last night. Jack frowned. The sentry's grin broadened a bit. As he did not offer to detain the boy longer, Benson hurried on along one of the walks. He took as short a course as he could, making straight for the basin, where he made out the Hudson and the two submarines. "'Hey, there's the captain!' shouted F, wonderingly, for Summer's eyes were sharp at all times. Out of the conning tower sprang Hal Hastings, looking eagerly in the direction in which F. Summers had pointed. "'Eh?' muttered another person, lounging near the rail of the gunboat. Then, Lieutenant Commander Mayhew, after a keen, wholly disapproving look at the hard-looking figure of a young man at the landing, started, as he muttered, "'Benson? 
By all that's horrible. How did he come to be in that fearful shape? He must have been in one of the worst resorts within miles of Annapolis. This isn't the first time the young boy's come back the worst for wear, the lieutenant commander continued under his breath. His friends were loyal enough to him that time. I wonder if they can be today. One of the shore boats, waiting about in the basin, put young Benson aboard the Farnham as soon as he explained who he was. Hal and F stood awaiting the coming of the young commander, their faces full of concern and anxiety. Both gripped Jack's hand as soon as he gained the platform deck of the submarine. Come below, whispered Hal. We'll talk there. You need a bath, and to get into your uniform as quickly as you can. This need Jack Benson proceeded to realise without an instant's delay. While he washed himself off in one of the staterooms aft, he talked with the door, which had been left ajar. He continued his story while he dressed. We were fearfully anxious this morning, Hal confessed. I went to sleep last night and didn't know of your absence until this morning. Then F and I decided to come on down to the boat to see if you were here. We were just planning to send quiet word to the Annapolis police when F spotted you coming. And true? inquired Captain Jack. He and Williamson are forward in the engine room now at breakfast. Oh well, Trow wouldn't know anything about the scrape anyway, returned Jack. His name was learned and used, that's all. Are you going to try to find that place? Catch the mulatto and force a return of your money? demanded F. Summers. I've got to think that over, muttered Jack as he drew on a spick and span uniform blouse. I don't know whether there'll be any use in trying to find that mulatto. I haven't the least idea where his place is. Even if I found it, it's ten to one I wouldn't find the fellow there. Farnham ahoy! roared a voice alongside, the voice coming down through the open conning tower. F ran to answer. When he returned, he announced, Compliments of Lieutenant Commander Mayhew, and will Mr. Benson wait on the Lieutenant Commander on board the parent boat? I will, assented Jack with a wry face. And here's where I have to do some tall but truthful explaining to a man who isn't in the least likely to believe a word I say. I can guess what Mr. Mayhew is thinking, and is going to keep on thinking. End of chapter 8